Hey, howdy, hey, good morning, good Monday morning, Four Oaks Church. It's February 26th. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. That was getting a little close there. Um, hey, this might be your first time or your thousandth time, but regardless, I love to use the Mondays of devotional week to sort of give an overview of what we do here, what we try to accomplish by God's grace, and to kind of frame out where we're heading for the week. So we are tracking with our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew. And what we do is we take a passage of Scripture, the one that we're going to be preaching on for that upcoming Sunday, and we spend some, spend some time chopping it up, looking at it, dissecting it, interpreting it together. And what this does, it 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 really honestly helps me as I get into the passage earlier early in the week. But it also, Lord willing, gives you some tools, uh, uh, sort of a, um, a, a glimpse of how I approach a passage, what tools I'm using to get at the meaning and the context and those sorts of things. And hopefully that helps you in your own study of God's Word. Hopefully that helps you to um, have some tools for your own personal study so that you can be a, a student of the Word of God. Okay, so that's that's kind of what we try to do here. And um, what, we'll, what we'll do today is we'll read over the entirety of the passage. We'll try to provide some context, some questions we want to ask, and frame out um, where we're heading for for this week. So let's we're going to be in Matthew 17. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 today. So let me read it. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them <clears throat> of John the Baptist. So you've heard me say this before. Matthew obviously did not write this, uh, biop of, uh, this biography of Jesus um, with sermon and chapter division, I mean, with a verse and chapter divisions, okay? He obviously wrote it as a narrative to be read in its entirety. So when it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him, that seems like a very specific time frame. That seems like a very 
uh, pointed and, and you know, th- th- there's, there's a precision there that we don't always see in Matthew. So oftentimes in Matthew, we'll say, he will say, Jesus did this, and then he went here, and he did this, and after some time. But here, he, he mentions the time frame. And so we would be obtuse if we didn't just ask, what, what's that about? Now, I don't think we have the answer yet. But we certainly have to take into consideration what has just happened before, okay? And what has just happened before, as we saw yesterday, is that um, Jesus confronts Peter. He tells the disciples, once again, the nature of his true mission, what it means to follow him, to take up their cross. He says that he is going to come one day in power and glory. And then he ends with this verse in verse 28. Truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain. So the first thing we want to ask is, is there a connection here? Whatever Jesus is talking about here in verse 28, is there a connection with that and what happens immediately in... um, in chapter 17. Okay. I want to, I don't think we know the answer yet. I mean, we could, we could speculate, but, but right now we're just wanting to ask that question. Okay. Then when we come to the actual text itself, uh, Peter, James, and John, a high mountain transfigured, we, we want to try to understand what does that mean that Jesus was transfigured? And, and he does give us some descriptions, right? His face shone like the sun. His, his clothes became white as light. There is somehow the glory of God being revealed in Jesus here. And we have to think, where are there other places in the scripture where this sort of epiphany is made of God's glory on a mountain? And of course, our immediate um, thoughts should go to Mount Sinai, right? This is where the glory of the Lord was revealed. This is uh, to Moses on a mountain. And then lo and behold, Moses and Elijah are in this sequence as well. So there's a lot of moving pieces. But I I would simply say, and again, we're not trying to answer them. We're trying to ask them, right? What, um, what is the connection here, um, between the fact that Jesus is being transfigured, glorified um, on a mountain. Well, we know that one of Matthew's central motifs is that Jesus is reenacting the ministry of Moses, but being a more faithful and fulfillment of Moses, right? So he talks about, you know, Matthew, Jesus comes out of Egypt like Moses. He ascends to to the hill and teaches a sermon on the mount like Moses. But here we have someone who's, who's coming after Moses, but who seems to be greater than Moses. And Moses, in fact, is there in Elijah. And we have to ask, how, how would the disciples know that this was Moses and Elijah? Well, obviously, um, they didn't have photographs and paintings and all that. But what probably they understood it to be Moses and Elijah because of what they were talking about. And the nature of the conversation was one that would lend itself to them knowing the identities of these two people. But again, we want to find out 
more about that, okay? Then we come down here, and we have the Father speaking to the Son. And we want to ask, now, where have we seen that before? Okay, the Father giving approval to his Son in Matthew's Gospel, of course, at his baptism by, by John, okay? Um, and then finally, as we, as we meander through the text, um, we, we see Jesus um, instructing them not to tell anyone about this vision until after he's raised from the dead, okay? And we want to ask, okay, why would Jesus give them such an instruction? And then finally, they have this discussion about Elijah, um, and, and what are the disciples asking when they, when they say, shouldn't Elijah first come? And Jesus says, Elijah does come, but it was fulfilled in John the Baptist. And what is the connection there? So, so these, these again are the things we use a Monday for at the beginning of a passage. It's the way I approach a passage. I go through the text and I flag all of the, the questions or the issues that I think are going to be germane and relevant to um, to what's being said, uh, to what to what to what we're tr trying to accomplish by looking at the passage. Now, to throw one more, this is not a wrench. This is just more of a reality. We know that Peter references this incident in one of his letters. Okay, we're not going to go into that right now, but he specifically references it. And when you think about all of the things that Jesus, I mean, that Peter could have referenced in his own letters to, to the churches he was writing to, that he drew from in his experience with Jesus for those three years, he, he chooses to, to, to center on this one. And so it must be highly significant, right? There, there's, there's, there's something um, unique, powerful, special, unique, I'll use that word again, um, about what's happening here for Peter to give it such prominence in one of his own letters when he could have talked about anything else, right? The feeding of the 5,000, or he could have talked about um, other miracles he saw and Jesus walking on the water, but he chooses this one. Okay, so now that I've thoroughly you know, jumbled up the mess here on this passage, where do we go from here? Well, what I like to do and what I'm going to ask you to do between now and tomorrow is begin to do just a little bit of study, a little bit of homework. And here are the things that I think would be important to, to identify. Okay, number one, go back and read any incidences, particularly the one where Moses is on the mountain with the Lord, okay? And God shows his glory to Moses, and he has to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock. I think that would be a great passage in Exodus um, to go explore. Number two, um, you might just want to refresh yourself as to the stories of Moses and Elijah, particularly how they ended their lives in ministries, okay? And... I think as you do this, you will come to find out that they both share a similar end-of-life experience um, in terms of their mission, and they both involved a mountain, all right? So, so I would want to go explore 
those things, okay? I'd also want to go back to Matthew 4 and hear again, or Matthew 3, hear again about the, read again about the baptism of, of Jesus by John um, in the wilderness in Matthew 3, and when Jesus, and when God speaks over Jesus that he is his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And then finally, one last thing. I would want to explore this idea, um, this question they asked, and why did the scribes say that the that Elijah must come first, okay? And if you were at the Greg Lanier um, Old May New Theology Conference this weekend, you know this is probably one of those opportunities to identify what's going on and double-click. All right, if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, go watch the sessions. I think they're going to be posted online shortly. But he talks about when we see a passage um, in the New Testament which seems to be referencing another passage from the Old Testament, we don't want to just skip over that. We actually want to go back and read that, understand the context, and try to figure out what is, what's being said here, and then try to figure out if there are new meanings being brought out by the Scripture writers or by Jesus. And so... If in your Bible you might have a little footnote, okay, where it says um, the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? There's a little footnote in my Bible, and it says go to Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And so what you would want to do is go to Malachi 4, 5, and 6 and not just read um, the specific citation, but really the whole context and the, and the chapter of what's happening in Malachi 4. Okay, if that sounds like a lot of work, it is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kid you, right? To really unpack the depth of God's word is time, it's commitment. We don't always have that kind of time, right? Let's be honest. And so that's one reason God has given us pastors, teachers, elders, who spend that time digging into the text. But at the same time, there is a sense which hopefully as you're seeing me do that, you're getting um, just a few tools for yourself and maybe you can't do it for the length, the duration, the intensity that, that I'm doing it or another uh, preacher, teacher, elder is doing it, but you can do it enough, right, to really get at um, a depth of meaning you wouldn't normally get just by blowing through a text, okay? So let me just say this, last thing I'll say is that just as much as Peter was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal to him the true nature and identity of Jesus, okay, as we saw in Matthew 16, we are wholly, completely independent, I mean, dependent on the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the meaning of God's Word. We can't approach it like a textbook. We can't approach it like a science book. Um, we approach it as the sacred text given by God. It's His Word and his Holy Spirit is the only one who can illuminate our hearts and minds to understand it. Okay, thanks for joining us. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into our week. Lord, we need your help here at the beginning of the week, and we want to take this admonition to heart that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, your mouth. So give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us grace. And Lord, we commit to you this week. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, see you first thing tomorrow morning.